You can find it on our Twitter bio. So if you're not already joining us on Twitter, please, sorry, following us on Twitter, please already do so. It's at BreederDAO. Turn on your notifications so you never miss the latest news. Find us on Discord. Join our community. Have a chat with us. Also join our Telegram page, Telegram announcements, and our Telegram group chat so you can ask all the questions and have all the info that you need for tonight. We'll start off with an initial interview with a very special guest, and then we'll open the floor for questions from the community. We encourage you to keep sending in your questions in our Discord server or raise your hand so we can bring you up on the stage and you can ask your question live. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jeff. I am the COO of BreederDAO. And with us today is Aaron, who is the CEO of Laguna Games. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. Crypto Unicorns is a game that we are very much excited about in the team. Why don't you start off by telling us about yourself, sir, and how did you end up here? Yeah, absolutely. I have been a software entrepreneur for over a decade now. Uh, the vast majority of that has been in gaming, and in particular, mobile gaming. Uh, so... I guess in 2009, I started my first company, which happened to be a mobile gaming company. Um, so uh, gaming's been a huge part of my career. Um, and I have the fortune of, you know, having co-founded Laguna Games in 2020 um, with my wonderful co-founder, Stephen Garcia, and the team that kind of followed us from uh, uh, kind of the predecessor company, um, which, had, which had kind of failed. And we set off to make uh, kick-ass kind of mobile games initially um, and closed a publishing deal with Warner Brothers, ended up building two playable prototypes for them. Um, and kind of early last year, they were making uh, kind of aqua hire moves on us. And, you know, we didn't really start the company to get jobs at, at um you know, kind of a big corporate game company. And we started looking around at, at other opportunities um, for us as a studio. Um, and, you know, I'd been um, in the crypto space since 2017, like many people, and I'd been kind of watching in particular what was happening on the gaming front. And so, you know, the rise of Axie certainly convinced me, along with many other game developers, that there was a huge opportunity in, in Web3 gaming. And, um, you know, we felt the timing was right to pivot and dive into the space. So in August, we executed a pivot, said goodbye to WB. Um, and, you know, obviously are, are less than two weeks now uh, at this point from, from launching our game. So it's been a, a heck of a journey thus far. And, and we're very, very excited for kind of the um, launch of the game and, and really the, um, the fun to really begin. <laughs> That's super interesting. So you started Laguna Games in 2020, and then you pivoted August of that same year, or the following year, 2021? Yeah, the following year. I mean, that's what's pretty insane is to, you know, to have executed that pivot um, 
obviously into a very different area uh, than kind of traditional mobile gaming. And to be so close to kind of shipping a game already is, is a really incredible uh, timeline. As much as people were kind of giving us crap for like a month delay, uh, which I still kind of laugh about. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really been a phenomenal effort and, and only possible because of the uh, history this team has kind of working together, rapidly shipping product together, um, as well as kind of our tech and tools um, that we thankfully kind of got to start with because I was able to acquire the tech and tools to our predecessor company. Um, and that just gave us a really foundational platform to build off of. You guys seem to have been working together for a long time then. Can you tell us more about the team at Laguna Games? Yeah, we're globally distributed. Um, we have a studio in Manila. We've got a studio in Johannesburg, South Africa. We have a studio in Hungary. Um, I'm based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have a number of teammates here, as well as up the West Coast, um, all the way up to uh, Vancouver in Canada. Um, so we're a globally distributed team. You're, you're right. We have been working together for quite some time. I think on average, people have been working together about five years. Um, and that includes, obviously, the time at the predecessor company. At that company, we built, uh, launched, and live operated a game called Battle Strike Force, which was a 4X strategy mobile um, MMO that uh, had Sylvester Stallone, um, Rocky, as the face of it. Um, so it was kind of a, uh, you know, a war game. Um, built around this kind of strategy 4X uh, sandbox that was, uh, you know, a really, really compelling title. Um, had a lot of economic depth, a lot of systems depth. And, um, you know, we certainly bring a lot of that experience or are bringing a lot of that experience over to, uh, to this title, even though it has a very different skin on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Rocky seems very... Uh... Different from the unicorns that we see right now. For sure. It's on your IP. Yeah. It's about as far from it as you can get. But in some ways, we were very excited. We didn't want to build another war game. We wanted to build something that was going to be uh, friendly and fun and whimsical and, you know, just an IP that we would have a lot of flexibility with. I mean, at the end of the day, they're unicorns, they're magical. We can basically do anything that we want with them, right? And, um, you know, that was really refreshing for us as game devs. I just looked up the time in Bay Area, and it's 6 a.m. there, your time. Thank you for waking up so early for this. We appreciate it. It's all good. I'm <laughs> usually an early riser, so this kind of fits my schedule. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the game for a bit. Can you give us uh, a quick overview of what Crypto Unicorns is all about? Absolutely. I guess we'll start at the top. Crypto Unicorns is a game that leverages blockchain-based assets, including uh, both fungible and non-fungible tokens. On the NFT side, you have uh, unicorns and land as the primary um, non-fungible tokens. Uh, unicorns are pretty awesome. They start their life cycle as eggs, hatch into babies, and can be evolved into adults. Um, 
And, you know, unicorns are really helpful. Um, and there are many, many use cases within our game for uh, unicorns. The primary one that we're initially launching with is tied directly to our land gameplay, which is a farming simulation. So you kind of take your unicorns, you put them to work on your farmland. Um, and uh, unicorns kind of help boost the efficiency and increase the productive output of um you know, what you can like harvest or build or craft, right? So examples would be like planting seeds and harvesting um, berries, which have different uses, including replenishing unicorn energy, um, being necessary in both breeding and evolution. Um, more specialized items like boosters, uh, both evolutionary and breeding boosters, which help you roll for higher stats during those events, um, as well as all kind of crafted materials, which are necessary to kind of upgrade the buildings on your land. Um, so that's kind of where we're starting with the launch in May is effectively the farm sim and the breeding loop and the rainbow token kind of marketplace, which is a peer to peer um, AMM that is in game uh, for players to kind of trade resources and materials. Um, Beyond that, uh, over the course of the year, we're going to be releasing a series of battle loops. Uh, the first is jousting, the second will be racing, and the third will be a team RPG, a 5v5 team RPG. Um, and that's going to really open up the economy even further, because now high stat unicorns you'll likely take off the farm to do, uh, uh, you know, to compete in these battle loops. Um, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about our economic design is the idea that even the lowest stat unicorns have utility because they can be useful on the farm. And um, the kind of mission and vision for us um, as a DAO is to continue to build on top of this IP. I keep telling people we've really just built an arcade in the metaverse that you take your unicorns into and you can do fun things with them, right? And over time, we plan to add more and more arcade games um, to the arcade, um, adding more, you know, each one we add adds more utility, more economic depth. Um, and yeah, I guess that about sums up our kind of currently announced roadmap and, and I think really represents our initial plan to bootstrap this player-owned economy and IP. You know, one of the things that really drew me to crypto unicorns was you guys seem to have a really well thought out and deep gameplay loop, right? So you've got farming, racing, jousting, all of these things, right? Let's dive a bit deeper into the game economy. Uh, I have a few questions regarding the first part, the farming part. So land is a core component of the farming game. Does this mean that when the game initially launches, you would need land to make your unicorns useful? That is correct. When, they, when the game initially launches, you will need land um, at a minimum. If you don't have a unicorn, you can plant seeds and harvest berries. If you've gotten loot boxes from either Discord events or our Founders Reward Program, um, you will have the opportunity to open those up for additional materials and things. I've mentioned many times in kind of our community AMAs that we do have a surprise for landowners when the, um, when the game launches. Um, and so anyway, with just land, you will be able to um, progress um, somewhat. 
Um, but it is very important that you ultimately get to a point where you have both unicorns and land as that's going to really get the flywheel moving for you. Got it. And is there a supply cap to land? There is. There will only ever be one million land plots. I see. And uh, after the Genesis land plots that you sold, um, I believe you released in your V2 white paper that one can then buy more land uh, through a bonding curve. Did I get that right? Yeah, we have this mechanism that we're calling uh, keystones. And so the, the first step is you need to craft a keystone. Keystones will predominantly be crafted in-game via the workshop. Um, and there'll be a keystone per land type. So one for all the common lands, one for the three types of uh, rare land, and of course, a mythic keystone for mythic land. Once you have that keystone, you will take that keystone to uh, what we're calling the land vending machine, and you'll effectively burn that keystone along with an amount of ETH, and you will get a freshly minted uh, land plot. Um, and you are correct, that is set against the bonding curve. We are still experimenting with a couple of designs there um, beyond just a simple bonding curve that kind of increments up after a purchase is made. Um, and kind of weighing the trade-offs uh, there versus some new um, uh, new designs that have been proposed more recently. Um, so not to be cagey on that, we are uh, figuring out the exact mechanics and, and how we'll structure the bonding curve. But everything I described around uh, producing a keystone via crafting, taking it to the land vending machine is, is very much locked in and a part of the planned uh, design super interesting just curious you guys um decided on this mechanic uh to sort of put a soft cap on the materials or the rewards is was that the original intent i think games in this space need a way to grow sustainably and avoid situations in which there's just this major hockey puck um, of new entrants into the market. I think we've kind of seen time and time again, if that, if that happens too quickly before the economy is developed and kind of robust enough to absorb that, um, you obviously end up in, in a collapse scenario. Um, and I've been really fascinated with ways for the game to kind of naturally respond to new demand. And so, you know, right now we obviously we have a bunch of land that's been sold. We have a certain percentage of that land that, you know, is available to purchase uh, on OpenSea. And we have some number of purchases per day. Once the game launches, people will uh, lock uh, or airlock their land into our game um, and, and be able to uh, start, you know, start playing. And, and the very cool thing about how we've designed our land is, you know, if you've upgraded buildings and things on that land and then you airlock it back out and decide to sell it, um, you know, you're actually selling a land that's that's unique. It may have, uh, you know, maybe level four, or level five or level six. And it you know it may have a certain number of buildings on it of a certain level. And players being able to kind of see that on the secondary market is going to give them a lot of optionality to try and find piece of land that like fits their strategy beyond just the class and kind of the level, right? If, if somebody went really farm heavy 
and you you're wanting to kind of you know um, go a different route you know you might look for a piece of land that you know that really represents your strategy well um, and the interesting thing about that is like naturally I would expect the floor price of um, higher level lands to go up right versus land that people are sitting on so it's kind of this mechanism where we try to actively prevent people from just sitting on assets and earning, um, you know, passively. You need to engage in the game. You need to play. Um, you need to strategize. I mean, that's the whole part of this entire space is to play games. Um, and the, 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 the land kind of keystone idea, I think, gives us a way for current players to kind of look at the floor prices of land and determine whether or not it makes sense for them to uh, simply mint a keystone and go and purchase uh, land directly via the vending machine. Um, and I would kind of hope that most land being traded on secondary is higher level land that has been upgraded by... Uh, players and um, is out there now circulating for players that potentially want to skip some of that time. Um, and again, the, the keystones represent a way to kind of mint fresh land out of the, you know, out of the vending machine. And so if the price of land on secondary is too high, well, you have this alternative kind of option, right? Um, obviously up until the point that, you know, all land has been, um, has been minted. So, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time, like, I don't think we necessarily have a silver bullet to any of the economic design challenges that we see in the space today. But we are trying to think about it actively and, and build things that are a little bit different than what people have seen. Um, as I kind of very much believe that we need economies and systems that, again, allow the game to kind of more naturally respond to meet demand, um, you know, versus having land sold at some fixed um, you know, series of uh, pre-sell events and things of that nature, if that makes sense. Of course. Yes, it makes sense. I mean, sustainability is top of mind for everybody in the space right now. Uh, with that being so. said, yeah, yes, <laughs> I, I would hope so as well for everybody's sake in the industry. You mentioned that when you sell land and you, well, you can build buildings on land and when you sell land, these buildings come with the land, right? So it's sort of like you're upgrading your land um, other than having your land level up. It can also have buildings alongside with it. Um, is this right? Do I have that right? Yeah, so buildings as you add them to your land. So, so to go from land level one to land level two is is pretty effortless. You just need to get um five buildings placed <laughs> and those buildings are for free right so uh they'll all be level one buildings and now you can you know start start working every time you level up a building on your land you get a certain amount of xp and once the land has a certain amount of xp it naturally kind of levels up um, so it really is the buildings and you progressing them is what directly will level up the land Got it. That's clear. Can you tell me more about which part of crypto unicorns are NFTs and which are just um, in-game items? So are the berries NFTs? Are the materials NFTs? Are the keystones NFTs? 
Yeah, so land, unicorns, keystones, loot boxes, and golden tickets, um, and of course, shadow porn eggs are our current set of NFTs. Um, inside the game, things like berries, um, even things like boosters are currently in-game items uh, or soft currencies and are not NFTs at this time. Got it. So they, these are soft currencies, but I believe that these things can also be sold on the marketplace. Is that right? Yeah. So inside the game, we have a feature we call the Rainbow Token Marketplace. Uh, inside of that marketplace, you can go every day and look at um, the bundles that are available to both buy and sell. So a bundle will be some amount of a material or item. It could be you know, as little as one, like tier six booster, and it could be as much as, you know, even several hundred of a lower level, um, you know, item or material like raw wood plank. Um, and these bundles are all denominated in RBW tokens, in our governance token. Um, so another thing that we kind of do different is we're leveraging our governance token inside of the game to act as an underlying medium of exchange within the rainbow token marketplace, which we've been kind of calling an off-chain AMM. Um, it is uh, us basically seeding pools with the soft currency on one side and RBW on the other side. Um, and we think this is going to create some really interesting market dynamics. Um, you know, if one group starts to dump cloudberries one day and the, and the price kind of goes down, well, players that wanted cloudberries that day are getting a discount. And so we can kind of leverage the um, player base to find a natural price in RBW for all of the soft currencies inside of the game. And, and it's kind of, it's a really good example of our hybrid approach to development in this space. We're not writing every single transaction on chain. Um, we're actually trying to actively uh, limit, really only write what is uh, important in terms of NFT upgrades um, and like buy and sell actions and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, you know, the Rainbow Token Marketplace kind of ties everything together and gives you an ability effectively to trade with other players, um, you know, via that structure. Okay, that's interesting. Um... I was wondering what the bonding curve was all about, but now that you explain it, it's sort of like an off-chain AMM. That means if I were a player and I wanted to sell some berries, for example, I'd have to put those berries, I'd have to sell those berries according to the current market rate, right? So I wouldn't be able to set a price for it. That is correct. Um, so you would go to the Rainbow Token Marketplace, you would see what the current price is, um, let's say it's 100 cloud berries and you've got 200. Well, you would have the option of selling a bundle of 100 uh, cloud berries at that time for that price. Um, a sell action does require a unicorn to carry everything to market for you. And there is a time that that takes. But the sell is made effectively immediately. That unicorn is just locked up for that period of time as it goes to market and returns. Um, and it, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, right? Again, um, you know, if 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 one item is is really getting dumped on the market one day, you're going to see the price come down. And 
um, you know, for other participants that need that item, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really valuable, um, uh, to kind of be paying attention on that day. Um, so yeah, that the rainbow token marketplace really comes from my love of economy simulator games like off world trading co, um, on steam. And, um, I think it's going to be kind of a fun, um, activity for for people every day kind of checking because really at the end of the day you're not necessarily going to be able to to grind out a ton of rbw via the uh the marketplace itself um but i think you will have opportunities to potentially you know you might need one piece of material to upgrade a building right and and you just go to the rbw marketplace and get it that day and and, in particular if you're paying attention you kind of know what the price was yesterday or the day before, and you see that it's down a bit, you're like, hey, this is a great buy day um, for this piece of material that I happen to need. And again, it really lets the community regulate and, and kind of find the um, you know natural price for all of our in-game uh, currencies without them all needing to be on chain, which I think is kind of the special part of what we're built or what we've built. I think that's really cool. It adds a lot of depth to the economy. I mean, they do say that in blockchain games, there's essentially two parts of the game. It's the game itself and there's the economic side of things. Yes. And having something like the Rainbow Marketplace really sort of cements that economic side of the game. And I think it's uh, genius, quite frankly. We'll see how it, how it works out. I'm very excited to... Uh... Yeah, I'm very excited about the future. I, I think it's unique in the space and a good way to kind of, yeah, you, you said it perfectly, Jeff, kind of blend the on-chain and in-game economies in a, in a nice way. I think too often they're kept very, very separate. And I think that's um, a bit of a mistake. And like, quite frankly, like Crypto Raiders has done a lot of this. They're doing more of it on-chain to my knowledge than we are. Um, so we're taking a, that's right. a step towards the hybrid approach. Um, but I would point them out as a really great example in the space um, and, uh, you know, one we've certainly been inspired by. Oh, yeah. Crypto Raiders does have, um, I believe it's Grimweed and yes. uh, their native token uh, on a DEX, which is really interesting when I first, when I first read about it. Um, it seemed like the natural path for blockchain games, given the, the, given the invention of AMMs. Right. So uh, it seemed like a natural step and it adds a lot of liquidity, uh, erases a lot of um, wash trading, if I would call it that, in some of these marketplaces. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Now, having seen um, how some of the current economies have turned out, uh, let's talk about your rewards token, UNM. What are the faucets and the sinks that you guys have planned for UNM? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can earn UNM from a number of places. Um, initially, with the farm sim, it's predominantly via uh, gathering. Um, there's also a very small chance when you collect uh, unicorn poop. Um, but the predominant source for Unim will be gathering. It's very much a variable um, rate. Um, so there's really no fixed amount. Some days you have a good day of gathering. Some days you're going to not have such a good day of gathering. It's kind of how it works on a farm. <laughs> um, 
over time with the release of the battle loops, both Unum and RBW's sources, the faucets, as you said, are, are going to be moved up towards those um, to really focus on, um, you know, those players who are ranking up, who are skilled, who are uh, grinding out those loops, um, you know, versus just trying to reward everyone for entering the game every single day equally. Um, that was definitely a huge mistake. Um Aximate was scaling the supply of SLP linearly with new DAO. That's just impossible to control. That literally puts you in a scenario where growth is going to um, kill you. So uh, I've mentioned the faucets. Let's talk about the sinks, which I would say are almost more important. Um, to start, we have both breeding and evolution. Um, so right off the bat, we have um, you know nearly double the amount of um, well, I would actually say more than double the amount of sinks, um, you know, that Axie does. And then the third one is, of course, crafting. So around the time your buildings get to about level five, which is about halfway, um, or is, <laughs> sorry, I've only had one cup of coffee, um, is halfway <laughs> up to okay. level 10, <laughs> which are buildings all start at. I think over time, we will likely not only add additional buildings, things like props and decorators that will have their own upgrades. Um, you know, we'll probably extend the number of building levels um, even further. So after level five, a lot of the materials you need to um, upgrade your building to the next level will require Unim. Um, so crafting gives us another really big sink um, which I think is um, obviously incredibly important. Um, so that's one of the, the big lessons that we've kind of taken from games we've built in the past, in particular, these 4X strategy uh, mobile MMOs. They're, those games are kind of notorious for really very, very deep economies um, and systems design that, um, you know, gives players something to achieve you know, to strive for, for, for literally years to come. I mean, in our last game, we had players who played daily for 18 months and didn't run out of things to do. Right. So that's kind of like our experience as game devs. And when I think about Unum and how to, um, keep it under, uh, control long-term, it really is about making sure obviously that the, the, the sinks are lining up with the sources as much as possible. And we're really only letting enough out that there's, a decent floating supply so that there's some liquidity in the market for people looking to purchase more, or, you know, people looking to potentially sell some of their excess unit. Um, so sorry, that was a long winded answer, but you've kind of hit uh, obviously a really important point based on um, where the space is at today and kind of, um, you know, mini games struggling with this problem. No worries. I really appreciate that answer. And on the topic of uh, in-game economies, uh, there's this notion that these virtual game economies just arrived when Axie did, but as you just stated, uh, virtual game economies have been around for the longest time. And you, having been from the traditional uh, gaming industry, um, would you say uh, balancing an economy in the blockchain space is a bit more challenging than balancing an economy in a Web2 game? We've been we've been joking about this internally, where you know building a game, just a premium game, you buy for sixty bucks, right? That's hard. <laughs> That's hard enough. 
a hugely challenging problem, uh, particularly in software, to pull off. Um, and then you go to free to play, and it gets even harder because you're like giving a game away for free, and you're trying to get enough people in and and find that really small percentage of players who are like actually willing to spend money in the game. And then you know, obviously, you try to extract as much value as you can out of that. And that that's really where the you know major misalignment of incentives exists in free to play. And then we said, you know, as a team, as Lacuna Games, we said, well, that's not hard enough. We want to we want to build open economies that players can seamlessly enter and exit at any time. Um, and so I would say that, you know, the challenge of designing economies in this space is exponentially harder um, and free to play. You know, it's much more command and control. You obviously have. Um, I mean, you're in God mode all of the time with your economy. That doesn't mean you can make every possible change without pissing off your player base. Um, you know, but the dirty little secret of free to play is, you know, especially for older games in the space, you're just going to inflate, right? So newer players, you know, are getting more for their dollar than players, you know, a year ago. And that usually leads to the older players churning out. It's just this massive kind of game of churn. Um, I guess to finish out my joke, you know, beyond even just dealing with an open economy, we're also trying to build a government. So like we're literally trying to execute on a, a ton of different things all at once that are um, things that we've struggled with uh, for a long time as human beings. Like, look, you know, I think we, we haven't really solved government yet. I, I don't necessarily think we've solved sustainable economics yet. And we may be seeing that fall apart right now at a global scale. And um, so I think it's very funny that, that we've kind of taken on all of these challenges. Um, I, I'm one of the people that very much believe in this uh, space just generally and, and think it's kind of setting us up for more, um, you know, kind of equitable and, and, and fair society. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in it. We're in it for the long haul. Uh, but it is obviously an incredibly challenging um, problem to solve because um, you are managing a, a very small version of a real world economy. And that is not easy at all. Definitely. I mean, whole governments have collapsed because of mismanagement of the economy. Yes. Right? Time so you... and time again. Time and time again. So. Yeah, um, it, it's it's certainly a daunting it's certainly a daunting challenge and and one that we take we take very seriously. But it, I, I like solving really hard problems, and and um, a huge chunk of our team does as well. And um, so it is part of you know yes, it's very challenging, but it is part of the reason we get up every day, right? I love that attitude. You mentioned an open economy, right? So uh, blockchain games are distinct in that the economy is actually owned by the community. How have you designed your token system for value to accrue back to the community or into the governance token or into the governance token or what what have you? I mean, a big part of the plan with uh, the rainbow token was to create as much utility for it as possible. I think, um, you know, obviously you have staking and governance, which is pretty typical. Um, unlike some other projects in the space, we've actually re released our governance. So we've already gotten our first uh, snapshot proposal uh, completed. 
Um, the second one around our liquidity, uh, our LP program is going to launch later today. Um, and so I'm very, very excited to be taking active strides into, um, you know, into community governance and, and giving, you know, actual governance utility to a governance token, um, you know, really uh, less than a month from when we uh, launched it. So I'm really proud of that achievement uh, that the team was able to kind of pull off there. Um, beyond that, you have things like, um, yes, providing liquidity. I would say that's kind of a small segment of the utility of the token. Um, and then, of course, the in-game use uh, relative to the RBW marketplace, um, as well as breeding and evolving um, your, uh, your unicorns. And I, I think that does set us a little bit apart from many game governance tokens that are either just purely governance tokens with no in-game utility um, or um, have kind of questionable in-game utility and no uh, governance um, rights. And so when I think about kind of the long-term value prop there, it's all about building out the crypto unicorns uh, economy and IP. And what is the value in having a piece of ownership and being able to guide that forward? Um, in our very first white paper, uh, which I carried forward in V2, I've made this point, like we are really trying to create a generational IP here, something that sits with the likes of uh, Pokemon, um, you know, Mario, Zelda, I understand that that is like this enormous challenge um, and we've seen very, very few IPs in history hit that level. Um, but again, I think that is the path to uh, long-term viability and sustainability, right? Like every single person in the world, maybe not every single person in the world, but a billion, I would like to have a billion people with corns, right? One day. I mean, that's just a, a uh, almost an insane goal. I guess it is an insane goal, but we like to put really hard, challenging um, goals as kind of our North star. And if you look at us where we're at today, right, what is the value in the RBW token? Well, you've got a treasury with call it 35, 36 million. I don't know exactly what the price of ETH is this morning <laughs> um, uh, in it. You've got a collection value of 80 plus million dollars. You've got obviously the value of the RBW token. You got the value of Unum. Like you have this 100 million plus um, ecosystem already pre-game launch. You know, I think we can get that to multiple billions over the course of the next few years. Um, and again, then you have to ask yourself, well, what is the long term value in uh, being able to own and control and guide that IP forward? And I think that's kind of the big experiment here, whether it's Axie, uh, Axie's coin, whether it's ApeCoin, um, um, any of the coins in this space, right? If you're looking to find the ones that are going to hold value long term, I think you need to bet on, um, you know, a combination of the developer, the community and the IP and look at all three of those things. Look at what uh, is going to be strongest across the board with all three and try and place your bets accordingly. I love the goal. A billion unicorns, a billion people with unicorns. I'm pretty sure you guys have a good shot of pulling it off. I mean, Everybody just looking at the plans that you, you know? guys have. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I actually did see those. Um, I voted pins on uh, on Twitter. That was very cute. Um, <laughs> Thank you. As yeah, as a DAO ourselves, and we know the uh, 
the complexities of actually pulling off a truly decentralized and autonomous organization. And I think you guys are um, taking a step in the right direction. And I applaud you guys for that. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Um, I got one last question before we head on to getting community members come up on stage or I'll be picking out questions from the Discord. Uh, this is a question from me personally. I'd like to know, what's the plan for Shadowcorns? Yeah, so we have um, <laughs> announced kind of a high-level roadmap. Um, in, in this quarter, you will be able to hatch your uh, Shadowcorn eggs to kind of see what you got. Um, you know, see the traits, see the class, um, all that kind of fun stuff. Obviously, see the visuals. With Shadowcorns, uh, obviously, there's way, way fewer of them than um, certainly than, than the number of unicorns now and definitely over time. Um, and so we can kind of lean in and make each one a little bit more, um, I think, unique. Um, and so that's going to be kind of the first moment you can kind of see what you got. Um, and then I'm sure there's a flurry of trading as people, um, you know, try to trade for the classes that they, you know, really want or, or try and get one of each class, et cetera. Um, then we're going to kind of launch a shadow corn only mini game, uh, which will be another on-chain kind of staking mini game. It's going to let shadow corn owners effectively get prepared for, um, act two of the dark forest. Um, when Act 2 launches, the Shadow Corns will basically be pitted against the Unicorns, and so this will probably happen sometime in Q3. Um, we need enough Unicorns to both continue working on the farm, um, you know, jousting and all that stuff, as well as being sent back into the Dark Forest, so that's going to be really interesting. And it, again, is another um, avenue that we're kind of taking via these like on-chain events um, or mini-games. Um, to continue to add more utility across the NFT set just broadly. Um, and so anyway, that Act 2 is going to be a lot of fun. Um, it will not be this very simple kind of staking uh, minigame like the first uh, Act was. It's very much going to be a competition kind of pitting unicorns versus the shadow corns. Um, obviously, there are more unicorns and shadow corns. There will definitely be a lot more unicorns and shadow corns at that point. So if the unicorn players are paying attention and coordinated over time, over a certain amount of time, uh, they will likely win out um, and kind of fully uncover the, uh, you know, the dark forest and, and drive the shadow corns out of it. And that fictionally, of course, is going to piss the shit out of the shadow corns. And so act three is really the shadow corn showing up in the game world and, and is the plan for us kind of integrating them in the um, uh, to that game world and that'll bring about things like minions as well as uh, like night raids and other kind of fun features um, so that's kind of the, the high level plan that we've announced for uh, shadow corns that'll absolutely kind of take us um, through the end of this year and and, and into uh, next year a bit um, and that'll see you know them them fully release around things like the minions right so shadow corns produce minions if you have the right inputs and so that whole process and system, I think, is going to be, like, really very important. Um, not just another avenue of fun, but, like, very important to economy balancing. You know, as we've announced, to upgrade Shadow Corns, do things like produce minions, you need soul crystals. Soul crystals come from burning unicorns. And that's part of the social experiment, like... <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I hope people have enough emotional resonance with these things that it's a little tough to, you know, um, turn them into soul crystals so you can upgrade your shadow corn eggs. And, and that's the interesting piece of that whole feature is it will kind of pit a certain group of players against, um, you know, people who are team unicorn. And I'm sure there are players who will play both sides of it. And it's going to be very cool to see how that um, plays out. Awesome. Wow. There seems to be so many dimensions and aspects to your game. It's, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be super multifaceted. Um, people are going to eventually, you know, I think uh, when I read your white paper, the goal was for people to specialize in certain parts of the economy, right? So I guess much like yes. in real life. Absolutely. I mean, it's our belief that you have to have an economy and an IP that's like deep enough and broad enough. Um, it just needs to have a lot of depth and breadth to be sustainable long-term. Mm -hmm. And you kind of hit the nail on the head with the amount of variety. And I mean, again, kind of coming back to the IP, like they're unicorns, they can do anything. We don't need to be held down by, um, you know, some overarching like fictional construct. And so, um, you know, the reality is we plan to try and build as many different, mini games and things for you to do with these unicorns over time as as possible to keep things fresh, to keep things interesting. I think too often developers are kind of approaching this space and trying to take templates from, you know, hey, we're just going to build a racing game or, hey, we're just going to build this, you know, this RPG game. And um, I think just having one loop is somewhat dangerous, um, especially when you think about the NFTs, the interoperability of things, um, the dream of composability in these things. I think you need to, to, to spend a lot of time as a game developer looking at how you could broadly apply your NFTs across different game loops versus trying to build just kind of like one game experience. I, I just don't think that's really what this space is uh, about. Um, you know, now that we have all these new tools in our developers like uh, Tool Chest. Awesome. Thanks for that answer. Um, now we're, we're heading on to the portion of our show where we ask community, well, sorry, where we get community questions from our members in the Discord. Uh, first one is from Coin Travolta, number nine. Five, four, three. Uh, while I'm reading, guys, please feel free to request to come up on stage if you want to ask Aaron a question live. You're very much welcome to do so. Moving on to the question from Coin Travolta. When talking about your vision, I read that as game developers, you're excited to move away from the extractive nature of free-to-play to support and foster community and and foster community-run game economies. Why do you think the current free-to-play system is extractive? And can you explain how to create a game system where players will not be extractive? Yeah, absolutely. I think the major challenge in free-to-play is this idea that usually uh, less than 5% of players in any free-to-play game spend money. Um, there are some exceptions. I would expect that to be higher in certain games like uh, Fortnite. Um, but our experience largely has been in the mobile space, which is really what brought free-to-play to the Western world. Um, 
And so when looking at those numbers, it really uh, almost always is less than 5% of players in those games actually spend money. And on the developer front, that's always a struggle because you um, are then very focused on trying to monetize as much as possible this, this very, very tiny percent of your uh, player base. And you, of course, monetize them by selling them virtual items that they have no ownership or control over. Um, and so it really does kind of lead to, I think, a misalignment of incentives because you have this whole chunk of players who are, um, you know, not spending money and, you know, you try your best to serve them. Um, but ultimately, you really have to focus on the small subset of players who are actually, um, you know, literally producing the income that you need to survive as a developer, right? Um, when you flip the script to kind of Web3 and the idea of, um, you know, giving players ownership of their assets, um, giving players a governance token, um, you know, in many ways for free via things like airdrops, via in-game play, you're able to reward participants in your ecosystem. And those who, um, you know, hold some of their assets, who stake their governance tokens, are then able to actually capture some of the very value that they create. And to me, that's the big change between... Um, free-to-play as we know it, and these Web3 games today is the idea that you're really letting players capture the very value that they create. And um, in some ways, that actually means that as a developer, you're probably collecting less. Um, and we've certainly seen that to be true, right? We've generated roughly uh, seven, almost eight million bucks in primary cells of our NFTs. Well, we've had over 25 million in secondary volume of those NFTs, right? And I think traditional Web2 game companies look at this and go, oh, well, you know, you missed out on your opportunity to profit. And I think my argument would be, well, I would much rather have this kind of smaller slice of a much bigger pie. And I don't think they fully realize that, like, I've not spent a dollar on marketing. You know, um, in mobile free-to-play, you were spending so much money on Facebook to try and get, you know, get eyeballs. We don't have to do that anymore. We may, at the long tail, need to buy some performance marketing ads. But tokens um, and the alignment of incentive that comes with handing out tokens, it becomes this phenomenal user acquisition, you know, mechanism. And so, again, you may be taking in less, but you're not spending millions of dollars in marketing, right? I mean, I, I don't know what we would have had to have spent um, to generate what we've generated uh, in mobile free-to-play. Um, so anyway, that's a, that's a really great question. I think it highlights the difference um, and uh, the kind of major difference between the two spaces and why ultimately I think Web3 eats a huge chunk of um, traditional free-to-play games. I love that answer, and I love the fact that you, you mentioned that economic incentives are aligned if you feel like you actually own a piece of a community and you, you would much rather tell your friends about it and that's the best marketing that you can get right for sure i mean that is the dream is you want that organic viral marketing and you're absolutely right it 
there's a baked in incentive because yes, you want these coins distributed to many, many more people and many, many more participants in the ecosystem. Um, but again, if you also really love the IP, and I think we have a community of people um, who do, um, to a large extent, be you know above and beyond pure profit motive, that's when things really start to get interesting because you have true evangelists that um, care about furthering what we're building. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a very special thing that you do not see at all in, in, in free to play. Awesome. So we've got one guy here up on stage. Thanks for being so patient, Vico. What have you got for us? Um, hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, so I'm a big fan of NFT games ever since Axie blew up, and your game kind of reminds me of a, let's just say, a beloved unicorn cartoon. It's really, really cute. And um, I have a question. You mentioned that there will be many game modes. What will incentivize the players to rotate, to rotate among the various modes rather than you know stick to the most efficient one for farming tokens and resources. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, those expecting to come in and kind of mash buttons on the farm to earn every day are probably going to be disappointed, right? You really have to have a strategy around what you intend to buy and sell into the RBW marketplace and, and really crafty players that implement a strategy, you know, may be successful in that. I think long term, the only way to um, earn, uh, you know, on a consistent cadence is going to be via the, the battle loops themselves. Um, you know, when you talk about incentives, again, it's like we are trying to build a game that uh, people enjoy um, and that they find fun. And I would hope that certain arcade games, if you will, as we add them over time, whether it's jousting, racing, or team RPG, um, end up being attractive to different players. Um, and again, if, if you're just trying to farm um, and, and maximally produce an ROI for yourself, I think you're probably going to be sorely disappointed or you're going to be a really good player in something like a team RPG, or you get really good at running a racing or a jousting team, right? Um, but at the end of the day, that will not be a majority of players. It's simply not possible for a majority of players to um, uh, to be at the top of the leaderboard, for example, right? And so over time, uh, the hope is that you know people come in, um, get excited about playing these loops, start to have fun and genuinely enjoy those loops. Um, and, you know, obviously at that point, we, we have a sustainable economy. I think in the early days, the opportunity to be an early, to be one of the first breeders, to be out there trading new corns, there's certainly an opportunity um, on that front. Um, but that won't exist forever as the barrier to entry comes down, more NFTs, um, you know, reach the supply. So I, you've kind of hit something that, that bothers me a bit about the space is, is obviously the, the focus on, um, you know, on return. And I, I've said before, like, there's nothing wrong with whales paying grinders for their time. Um, but it usually needs to be whales who are actually like trying to play the game. <laughs> so that might be playing some playing, uh, paying a grinder who was really running the farm sim, harvesting a ton of berries, crafting nice boosters and got really 
uh, lucky in a breed to get a high stat unicorn and some whale that wants to play jousting is going to buy that and play it right and that that over time will transition from whales lending out nft assets to produce yield off of people right it needs to be whales paying grinders for their time because the whales want to rank up and do other things within the game right and then between those two cohorts you need a very healthy middle class of players who are here to have fun and um are getting genuine entertainment value out of the out of the title. So your question around incentives and, and rotating between things is I would hope people rotate to the battle loops that they enjoy most and people seeking purely profit motives um, outside of the initial growth phase are likely going to struggle. But thank you. Great question, Vika. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Yeah, cheers. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, nice presentation. So, firstly, I would like to know, concerning your game, do I need to pay a certain fee or make a subscription before I can access your game? Why, secondly, I would like to know, do I need to make in-game purchases like health, weapon, or skin for my players? Yeah, so, I mean, at a minimum, you need a plot of land. So that's an NFT that you would have to purchase. Um, we obviously highly recommend a land and a unicorn. Unicorns are pretty expensive right now. So you might wait until the Gen 1 corn start getting bred in the next few weeks as the game launches. Um, In-game, you don't necessarily need to buy anything. Um if you're willing to be patient. And the reality is, of course, most people are not patient. Um, but I mean, sending your unicorns out to gather, uh, crafting items in the workshop, planting seeds, harvesting berries, this, these kind of things will get you over time the materials that you need to, say, upgrade your buildings. Um, obviously, if you have two unicorns, you'll get enough material to, uh, you know, to breed and evolve over time. Um, where you would potentially need to purchase things in-game would be, hey, I need 50 cloud berries because I'm trying to uh, breed my cloud unicorns together, right? And I've got, you know, I just need 50 more to do that action. So you could go into the RBW uh, marketplace and purchase some of those for RBW. And the question is, did you earn any RBW in the game up to that point if you did? It's potentially a free action. If you didn't, then you might actually have to market buy some RBW external to the game and spend it um, inside of the game itself. Okay, great, great. So I, I still have two more questions before I go. So secondly, I would like to know, being a Nigerian, I know um, we do play a lot of games. So with the advent of your projects and um, for you... Us to be able to play an end. Sorry, Polygon. I think you're breaking up. Okay, I said in summary, do you have um, plans to onboard ambassadors for your projects across the globe? Yeah, if I understood the question, uh, you know, we, we do uh, tend to serve a global audience, right? We're a globally distributed studio. We've got a team in Johannesburg, South Africa, and, you know, people in Eastern Europe and here in the States and in the Philippines. And so we, we definitely plan to distribute the game globally. 
Um, it does start as a WebGL uh, browser-based game, um, which will likely only run on desktop browsers. Um, we do plan a uh, set of mobile versions over time. And I think the challenge there is we're unwilling to, you know, give a... Um, given to the app stores, I would say. And so there is this question of when they will start to allow um, uh, seamless use of crypto assets inside of these games. And so that will, in some ways, hold us back from being, you know, uh, listed directly on the app store and, you know, outside of the test flight beta programs and stuff for some time. Um, so the initial focus is definitely going to be on WebGL for distribution. Okay, great. Great. So finally, I would like to know, do you have plans where um, I can invite friends and end or is there any mode in your game where I can invite friends so that I can play together and how would the reward system be for that? Yeah, so the feature is neighborhoods um, that will launch likely sometime in uh, late Q2, maybe early Q3. And neighborhoods is going to let you take your land NFTs um, and bring them into these shared worlds with your friends. Um, so you could set up a guild, um, invite your friends to that guild, and everybody could show up and, and like piece together their land tiles in a way that um, maximizes adjacency bonuses and all this fun stuff for, uh, for everyone. Um, we are thinking about like referral programs. I think there is somewhat of a challenge in that, you know, it's hard to tell at a wallet level who is who. And I'm a pretty big believer in just generally web three and not, um, you know, having people sign up with email and all these other, you know, or using a social login or something like that. So we need to figure out a referral process or a referral program, excuse me, that isn't going to be subject to, um, you know, people effectively referring other accounts <laughs> that, they, that they hold. Um, so it's something that we are thinking about, um, but don't currently have a system that, that isn't gameable uh, designed yet. So right now, the feature, the fun part of it is going to be just being able to actually put your land together, see each other's uh, stuff. We're thinking about really interesting ways to kind of coordinate, like maybe I can collect up your poop. If I uh, see it, you still get the reward and I get just a nice tip for doing that because poop is like ephemeral. It will go away if you don't happen to see it or collect it. And so there's things like that that... Um, I think will provide us a really fun social experience, um, which I would hope would would lead to uh, to people being pretty interested in playing together. Thank okay, you for the great. questions. Yeah. Awesome. I, I hope that answered your questions, Polygon. We're moving on to our last question from our community back over at Discord. From Maihi, number 7568. I hope I read your name right. Your roadmap indicates that you're planning to launch a five versus five mode that will push your game towards esports. Ooh, this is interesting. In this regard, I would like to know a little about the competitive mechanics in your game. Is the competitive process based on the characteristics of the NFTs themselves? or on the skills of the players, what will be more important to win? 
the 5v5 team RPG, the current spec for it is very much a... Um... Okay, guys, seems like we had some technical difficulties. Quite a shame. I was really enjoying that. And, well, we were wrapping up anyways. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Aaron had to go. But I'd just like to remind everyone of our token launch auction happening on the 26th to 29th. It'll be on Copper Launch. We will be releasing a comprehensive how-to guide, so please follow us on our socials. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening to BreederDAO on air. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye.